The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. That model, it is very susceptible to breaking and not very resilient. We have created these very efficient distribution models that can't even come over to the next one when there's a problem, right? You have to bury food because you can't move it from one distribution network to the other. So this was really top of mind for me as well. It's like, the question was, can we decentralize our food distribution? Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 5, welcome back. If you are a first-time listener, you're in the right place. This is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed the last episode, we spoke to return guest Nicola Kerslecki, and she joined the show to discuss several exciting and innovative areas of ag tech that she and the team at Katine are working on. She talked about her new micro-learning platform, the importance of diversifying revenue streams, and the trends she's noticing overall in ag tech. It was a pleasure having her return back to the show, so make sure you check that out if you haven't already. This week, a new conversation with a friend that I met at the Indoor Ag Tech NYC conference. Ali Daniali. He's the founder and CEO of Harvests, and he joins the show today to share his engineering background, the origin story of Harvests, and the importance of supporting and promoting small farming both domestically and abroad. We touch on the topic of decentralizing the food distribution network, some big wins Harvests has been able to achieve recently, and advice Ali would give to first-time farmers. You'll really enjoy this conversation because it's near and dear to my heart, this idea of supporting small farmers and also this farming as a service model, which Ali is championing, which I really, really enjoy. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at verticalfarmingweekly.com. Each week, our team member Noah brings you the latest and greatest in the world of vertical farming. Sign up today at verticalfarmingweekly.com. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read those out on future episodes. As a reminder, we have sponsorship opportunities available for season six of the show. So if you're interested in learning how you can leverage the reach of this show 
as we connect with all of the movers and shakers in the world of vertical farming, reach out to me directly, harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I share some exciting updates for this podcast. But before then, let's get into this conversation with Ali. So Ali Daniali, founder and CEO of Harvests, thanks for finding some time to join me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you for the invitation. And for the benefit of the listener, we got to meet in person, actually, which was nice. And sometimes I don't have that ability, given how the podcast is set up. But we were both recently at Indoor Ag Tech NYC, and I ended up I'm not going to blame the conference or the probably the travel, but I did get sick. I caught probably it's what's a non-COVID flu. I got tested and it wasn't COVID, but it certainly felt COVID-ish. So I'm just coming out of the tail end of that. So if I sound a little congested, <laughs> that might be why. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you. How was the rest of the conference and the trip back for you? The trip back was great. I was sitting in the middle of two ladies that self-identified as trouble and havoc. That was funny. <laughs> and we laughed. We made jokes the whole time back. So the six hour flight went very quickly. Yeah. And what was obviously when you're on a plane, there's something about the calm and serenity and the clear headedness I find sometimes. And I had some nice ahas from the conference. Reflecting back, I think I came back with 20 plus interviews or outreach opportunities. I'm really excited. And then obviously this was one of them. And so when it comes to the conference, when you think about your intentions about why you went and your experiences there, how would you recap that? I approached the conference as a place to connect with small and medium-sized growers, indoor growers, indoor farmers, indoor growers, and also a variety of vendors who felt that they were innovating in this space. One of our models for harvest is to partner with these types of OEMs and manufacturers and because their customers are our customers and we fit in a really complementary uh, section of their customers and helping them out. So it was really nice to be able to have really in-depth conversations, meet new people. The sessions were great. It allowed me to see where the industry is talking and where the gap is and I think there's something to be said about what kind of conversations these conferences have and what are they missing. I think that was really evident for me is what was missing and we still need to talk about. What were some of the things that are top of mind for you in terms of what could have made it better or which conversations could have been added? There's a lot of conversations about the big indoor ag operators, and that's great. I think that's, they are the beachhead of this industry in getting people to, one, change their appetite for indoor grown. To get, they have the money. They raise the money to be able to get the vernacular brought into the conversation in a marketing sense. Yeah. That's great. I'm very supportive of the large operators. And because the conversation is about them, then it becomes, oh, who are they selling to? So we inherit the conversation about grocery and produce in scale. And scale becomes then like this, everybody's got to scale up. And because of that, we leave behind a lot of conversations about small and medium-sized growers. We leave behind 
conversations about food service and other ways of distribution of food. But I think it's this curve, right? We'll start having those conversations as well. But we got to be very cognizant that there is a missing component right now in those conferences. And we got to right now dig for it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think there might be opportunities to have follow-ups. I think Rethink Events, folks who ran the conference we were both at, they seem to be pretty on the ball. Because now that you mentioned, I I think I remember a follow-up email. So that could be a good opportunity to talk about those topics because I'm sure they're already planning. They've probably got the dates ready for next year. Exactly. And as it goes with the conference scene, you have to be almost a year or two ahead with these venues. And it was extremely professionally run. Everything, all the sessions were on time. You can tell that it wasn't their first rodeo and they knew exactly what they were doing. So that's a that's always nice. I love single track conferences. So you're not, you, don't forget, you don't get the sense that you're running around from room to room. Right. <laughs> and right. you get to spend more time, connected time, because we know we had a couple conversations and then we kept running to each other. And I think that's the nature of a setup like that. I do like the ability to have one stage and then being able to come in and go and set aside time. And I'm looking forward to getting the recordings because of yeah. the conversations that I was having that's true. outside. Yeah, yeah. I really want to catch up on some of those topics. So the, we normally get into the origin story stuff in the beginning, but I, since we, you know, it's just, we were just catching up and we were just saw each other. We sort of just wanted to start from there, but talk a little bit about where you were before harvests and what business you were in, and then we'll make our way on the timeline towards where the idea for harvest came. I'd love to. About two years ago, I was full-time employee at T-Mobile. I was there for over 12 years and working on some amazing technologies from 5G to AR and VR, virtual reality, augmented reality, and being able to enable our customers at that point to really get the best out of the network for those kinds of use cases. And one of the projects that I had was to work with a fairly known OEM that creates these vertical uh, indoor farms to help with connectivity inside. And in that project, I started doing a lot of research on container farming and was very interested in being able to have something like that on campus for the company I was working for. And also, if I was able to do something like this on my own, what would it take? So I reached out to almost 20 different growers that were doing this type of farming. And I wanted to get a sense of what was the level of effort weekly? What was the cost? Do you make money? How do you plan for the future? Can it be done as a side hustle? I think a lot of tech-centric folks are interested in going into this because there's so many Internet of Things, IoT sensors, there's a tremendous amount of data that comes out of the farm system that you can, you know, tweak and, and play around with. So a lot of people drink the Kool-Aid of this is an easy thing to do. But what came out? I'm curious, just as a little aside, sure. and this is the productivity tech nerd in me. How did you compile this information? Was it just like a, a simple Google Sheet, Google Doc, Airtable? No, I actually made a single sheet 
an interview sheet for every single interview I did. I didn't distribute this. Okay. It was actually, I used Apple Pages, and I okay. used the template. I took pictures. I created it like it was this one sheet for myself. To, and I talked about their where they came from, what challenges they were trying to overcome, what were some of the problems that they faced. I actually put everything into this kind of high-quality you know, one sheet just for myself. So I took all that information. What boiled down to after it was that there's two questions that these growers are having to answer weekly, which is, what am I going to grow next? And who am I going to sell it to? Really critical <laughs> questions. and Very important questions. Very important yeah. questions. But they were guessing on these. It was not data-driven. And as a, an engineer, data in my work was very important to be able to guide and plan and execute. And I encountered that a lot of the growers were guessing. Because they were guessing, they were using this fantastic, the most efficient growing system, these shipping container farming systems, and they were matching it up with the most inefficient way of selling and distribution, right? And it was kind of for naught. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to get into this, I got to solve it for myself. And that's where Harvest Platform came to life, where what I learned from those interviews were that the grower who had a relationship with a buyer and could pre-sell their crop, two crops ahead of time, all their crop ahead of time, they were the one that were being successful in their process. Right. And things were figured out for them. So I'm like, I got to figure that out. How do I bring at a scale, at a kind of a software as a service model? How can I bring about this pre selling, the ability to lock in capacity? Because right now, I think for the first time in modern agriculture, we have a growing system that is a measurable unit. You know that 320 square feet has a certain amount of planting and seeding that you can do, and you can then harvest a certain yield because it's being run with machines and a recipe. And because of that, you can treat it like a system and a unit and manage it. So you can fractionalize it. And when you fractionalize it, you can use pieces of it or you can aggregate it, right? You can put one, two, three, four, five of these growing capacities together. So I took this really engineering approach. I approached Amazon Web Services, and I needed some sort of compute. I didn't leave all my machines running all the time. I turned them on when I needed it, and there was no waste there. It was yeah, on demand. On demand, matching demand exactly to supply became really what I was trying to create. So we built a platform where through integration with crop management software, we understand when there's capacity available to grow in the future. And because we have that information, I can bring in demand from food service and match it up directly with what's available to grow. So we manage the food service side, get the order that's typically a bulk order, and are able to then 
bring along small and medium-sized growers to grow at that scale. Right now, they don't have that, not capability, but the deal flow to get it in there. Yeah. Most food servers go to the big distributors, and you're seeing that the Cisco's and U.S. Foods, they transport majority of their fresh produce and because it's at scale. So when a Sodexo says, I need 25,000 pounds of lettuce, Cisco Foods can, or whoever they buy from, can go and say, yes, I can bring you 25,000 pounds of lettuce for this delivery time. Small growers, at most, if they're at 100%, they're about 1,000 heads of lettuce. Yeah. But because we use technology, kind of this modern farming approach is to use the capacity and aggregate from very local production, then we distribute once it's harvested. So there's going to be more, I'm sure we'll talk about there. So as I'm thinking about that process, when did you really feel like the gears were turning and you started having these conversations and you knew that with your past experience, that this is something that I'm assuming, A, at the time, you, you didn't see anywhere in the industry that this was this issue or this challenge was being addressed, or if it was, not at this scale. And is that something, an engineering background? Is that problem-solving background? I'm curious just a little, get a peek into like how you think and how you problem-solve when it comes to issues like this and how those first iterations look and maybe were there things you tried that didn't work and to finally arrive where you're at now? Because this was a personal problem of solving this entrepreneurial endeavor, I think I had a very intimate understanding of the issue. And being able to understand the grower growing side and the engineering of how and the technical part of how a indoor farm uses software, so crop management software, and it has that capability of understanding and bubbling up that information so you can take actions, right? Pieces started falling into place. And I'm a five times founder. So I knew that I could take the lessons from, even though I was coming out of a corporate world, I used my time really efficiently for first year, kind of building this in the background. And then four months ago, I went full time. I left T-Mobile and said, this is the time to really go after this. And here we are. I'm curious, Ali, also because I'm an entrepreneur, and there are people that have been reaching out who have an interest in starting their very first farm. This has been something that's top of mind for me, and some other ideas are brewing that we'll probably get to talk about after this conversation in more depth. But I think this idea of not knowing where to start, not thinking through this full cycle, because you could have the investment to buy the container farm, but if you don't have anywhere to sell it, to, exactly the, the issue. Yeah, this is the issue you're actually addressing. One of our mantras is sold before you sow it. And That's great. by pre-selling and having an offtake agreement, we bring some safety in, in that those decision points for a grower. Yeah. And they get to then focus on what they do really good well, and that is growing. And letting us be the distribution and sales and logistics. Because what's interesting about this hub and spoke model that large distributors have created, they pick up from growers very long distance or ship it. It goes 1,800 miles, and then it goes to a hub 
where then it gets divvied up to trucks and it gets out and it gets distributed. Well, it's not very sustainable. It's We have seen during this past two years during the pandemic where that model is very susceptible. It is very susceptible to breaking and not very resilient. We have created these very efficient distribution models that can't even like come over to the next one when there's a problem, right? You have to bury food because you can't move it from one distribution network to the other. So this was really top of mind for me as well. It's like, how do you, and with crypto and all these other types of technologies and the conversation about decentralization, the question was, can we decentralize our food distribution as well? Yeah. And you can when you use third-party logistics. You take the food that's grown and you deliver it directly, if, especially if it's in very close to where it's going to cons- be consumed. You use distribution similar to Instacart or these third-party logistics that only do delivery. And you move it very quickly after it's harvested, less than 24 hours directly from where it's being grown to where it's being consumed. Yeah. So you create a decentralized way of distribution so that when if one of these growing systems goes out, you're not taking everybody down. So this is another point I think we talked about on the during the conference that was missing. Yeah. It's great that we're building these large facilities. Again, the reason we're building large facilities to grow is because we want to sell the grocery. And grocery needs scale, and the profit margins are driven by scale. But when you do the same model as big ag with soil-based big ag, and you do it closer, that's nice, but you're moving the problem. <laughs> you're just yeah, moving the problem from 1,800 miles to... 50 miles and if you have if that particular system goes out and we've had problems where i think salmonella or you've had indoor growers have to shut down you've just at that point in the same boat yeah so i think we need to get back to small farms but being very smart you can have a distributed network of small farms using indoor growing around an urban area and have win-win. You can have bespoke type of produce grown for that specific region that may want, they might want more wasabi arugula, right? So you can have a chef that wants that at a larger scale and still be able to have your bib lettuce and all your other leafy greens and herbs and strawberries being grown across around the urban area and make the where we consume food a lot more resilient to food disruption. And that's what Harvest is really focusing on is bringing fresh food to food service at a very efficient way at a scale that they need by working with urban growers, indoor growers. So Thanks for that detailed explanation of what it is you're putting together. What were some of the challenges you faced that you were starting to put all the pieces together? I think there's challenges mostly on the food consumption side, the buyer side. Okay. Can you say more about that? Large distributors are very well entrenched and have, for hundreds of years, have been 
doing the same thing and food services, there hasn't been really much innovation in distribution at all. I mean, it's become yeah. super efficient, but it's the same model being super efficient. And it's been you know, fed to our food service and restaurants to doing the same way over and over again. And they're dealing with price hikes because price goes up three or four times a year. They're dealing with out of stock. Hey, I can't get this to you because I can't get source it. So and spoilage. So because a lot of the food is being trucked, they don't get the full amount of use of that food that they've paid for. So the challenge is to get that message across to food service. And I hope they're listening <laughs> that there's a better way and you can get 50, 60 percent longer shelf life when it's coming from local. You can get food that's a lot more nutritious and healthier without pesticides when it's indoor grown. We know that. Yeah. And because of those two are end price stability and all year. So those are the things I talk about. And what I then is like a secondary thing. I talk about the environmental impact because most of these food service buyers are more interested about the pocketbook, right? Yeah. What I've built with Harvest is intrinsic sustainability. I don't upcharge for being something that is helps the planet. And a lot of companies, they're like, oh, this is better for the environment. We'll charge, charge a little bit more for it. Yeah. And I don't believe that's the right approach if we want to make a difference quickly with our environmental challenges. It has to be intrinsically built inside the product. There's no reason to say that's even indoor grown. It's just lettuce, right? Locally grown. Locally grown. It's coming from a farmer that's close by to you. And it's then if you really want to dig, yes, this came from indoor grown, but intrinsically it's the same price as non-indoor grown. We can change the behaviors of buyers by making it don't necessarily put all of our marketing dollars on making those things the important aspects that are make differentiation, right? Sure. And I think a lot of this conversation, again, goes back to how we've started. We chase the grocer because it's of scale and you have to package things. You have to market things. It's consumer good, goods has a model of showing differences and how are you better than the other? And we got trapped yeah. in this model that we got to kind of nudge away from it now. What's interesting is the way technologies and services and preconceived notions about where food comes from and how it's delivered, all that is being turned up on its head. A lot of it we were forced into in terms of having those conversations because of COVID, because of the fact that the way we thought we could do things, when that's shut definitively for, for six months, life goes on and people start to get resourceful. And what's interesting is this concept of, you talked about the delivery services, like the door dashes that now can deliver food. And they're just essentially like independent, locally distributed food distribution systems. <laughs> they're distribution systems, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And so it's interesting how these things that you're talking about are working. Probably couldn't have happened maybe, you know, five years ago or maybe a couple of years ago, but it's interesting how now the pieces are in place for you to think about this indoor farming as a service, which you've, yes. which is how you've described it, which I, which, I, which I think is really great. So can you talk more about how you 
when you talk to people about indoor farming as a service and how you explain that to folks, how it functions logistically and where folks can insert themselves into that process if they're just getting started. Thank you. Indoor farming as a service is being talked about a lot more. Even it was spoke, we talked about it at the conference, it was brought up. And what's important to understand is there's different kinds of services, right? There's the service of being augmentation of labor, right? We have a company that does indoor farming as a service and their take is I can bring people to your facility and help you grow. Our take is the order sales side of it. And by capturing the order and that's for the future need and understanding when a grower has room to grow, right? That unit of measure that we talked about, I can match that very efficiently through this platform by providing a contract that says, hey, grower, I see that you're going to be in three weeks, you're going to be, or in six weeks, you're going to have 500 pound capacity of lettuce to grow. Or you have 50% of your container farm or your warehouse is available because they're moving from crop to crop. Do you want to grow this particular contract of food when you're done? And they go, yes. And then we ship them seeds for that specific crop. So because we are shipping the same seed across from Connecticut to Washington, no matter which grower it is, you get a consistency of product. So a airline that might need specialty herbs in New York, in Dallas, and in San Francisco as hubs is able to then get the same starting point in that particular herb that then goes into their catering business. That's great. And because they are getting it locally grown, it's going to be fresher when it gets delivered. It's not, I mean, I think that's really some of the differentiators of modern farming. It's important to bring up is that you can actually give a damn about your seeds to harvest. And we do by knowing what the grower does and managing even auditing. That was one of the pieces that while I was at the conference, I was looking at companies that allowed harvest to do remote auditing and remote testing of what's being grown. So as the grower daily does their checks and they walk through, they can do a test, upload it to our platform, then I have traceability. That's great. Right? These are the things that we want to get into is to be able to have transparency for what people eat. Because I would imagine at some point you would also want to make sure that even with the same seed, you could have two container farmers Maybe the same process, maybe slightly different processes in terms of like, you know, the specific steps. And is there a chance or is that, is there a possibility that they could even with the same seeds end up with a different product? Well, if they use the right recipe, okay. we can get really close. And the onboarding process for a grower is, is harvest understanding which system they're using and what recipes they are. So we got beyond just gap certification of a grower. We also understand what crop management software they use. And because then I can match up, okay, this is using the recipe from freight farms or 
recipe from Lettuce Grow or it's using Verde Compacto's recipe. And understanding that, I can even give them some adjustments on just to be able to stay very normalized or be able to say, here's the size that we want to be at. So harvest at six weeks versus seven weeks, because this is the size that the customer wants. These advanced type of things are definitely on our radar. And as we get more established and we'll be able to really have those conversations with our customers, both sides, right? Our buyers and our growers. If you could bring us to present day, what are some of the wins that you've had since implementing, since going full time with harvests? We have, I mean, in the last four months, we've had several partnerships with OEMs. So we have a partnership with Mushroom Growing System, Clean Tech. So their customers become automatically harvest customers and we help distribute mushrooms, 10 different varieties. We're working the same with other types of OEMs right now, doing the same type of referral and integration with their systems so that we can better match growers and buyers. Since we've launched, we're about 100 growers on our network, and which is a process for every single one. We have to go through this gap certification, make sure they are, help them if they're not. We're working with local school district to help them get some actual production inside the school and helping them connect with grant writing and be able to get them help to get USDA grants. That's been one of the exciting pieces and work that I've been doing. And we're raising, we're doing an angel round to for our company. Why is this important to you, Ali? Well, one, it's a problem that if it's not addressed, no one else really is addressing it. So our, and we saw it so intently how it's broken right now. And the big guys are very slowly going down, trying to solve it in sustainability with a sustainability mind. I'll give you an example. I looked at the sustainability report of the number one food distributor right now and for 2021. And I wanted to see where they talk about their CO2 usage and emissions. I found it on page 47, this is first paragraph, last line. Wow. You had, it's buried. It's not a KPI that they're really interested in addressing. So if there's so many miles being driven to bring our foods to us, it's a problem. We got to fix it. And they are. I mean, you have the Calera and U.S. Foods partnership. That's a really great start. Again, that's yeah. the beachhead type of deals that will help small farmers. And I think this is the time right now to bring, again, I've said this, bring small farming back to the U.S. And that's why, and across the world, sure. we lost them because of World War II. Big Ag became this monster to be able to feed and commoditize agriculture. I think we need to fix that. And the way you do that was indoor growing and small hold, very efficient, very low water usage. Yes, it has its power issues, but I think we're going to get to a point where power is going to be free. We're going to get to a point where energy, you see that in Japan. 
it's already ha they're using tides and currents and ocean currents to generate immense amount of energy that is going to make the whole country sustainable. I mean, can you imagine free energy in Japan, what they'll do with that, right? Yeah. And you see that on the crypto side with El Salvador using the thermal geothermal. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. So there's, yes, we have to solve the energy piece, but at the same time, we have to stop driving our food so far and reduce carbon emissions in every piece of the pie. So the reason I got, I mean, I could do anything that I wanted to in XR. I mean, I had really nice job, great yeah. opportunities at T-Mobile, and I chose to switch into this industry. I mean, I knew Zip, right? I've been a sponge and talking to people, talking, going to conferences, understanding. The problems are similar patterns, so I felt comfortable in solving the problem, but it's the relationships that are really important to establish when you're coming into a new industry. And that's what I've been doing. And so I said, well, if I have to work, I'd rather every single hour that I spend in, in it to solve a big problem, big, hairy problem. And I can use my mental acuity to do this. And so let's give it a try. And so I have, I mean, it's, Thankfully, I have a partner that supports me. My wife, she said, you need to do this. She actually pushed me to <laughs> go full-time into That's great. on this project, from the project to being a real company. Yeah. Yeah. So, When you have conversations with first-time farmers, what's the guidance you're giving them so they have the best chance of success? Several. Uh, I talk about where they're going to be establishing their farm and getting on top of the zoning quickly. And that seems across the board to be one of the big obstacles for urban growers. And we need to do a better job holistically with all of our local governments to accept indoor farming as something that is not detrimental and is actually very positive for the city. So I tell growers to do that, to really get on top of it, the second piece is diversity. I have growers that say, well, I just want to do mushrooms. I go, well, if you can do leafy greens and mushrooms, or if you're just doing leafy greens, look at doing diversity because your community is going to have ups and downs in what their demand is. So you can actually produce riding that wave. And we can actually see that by matching exactly what those demands are. Diversity of production is important. And I think this is the really differentiators of small hold, medium hold to the big indoor growers. It's diversity of what they can grow. When you look at what, for example, Calera or Aero Farms, they have very limited number of SKUs. They do very well. And they can just grow and grow and grow those four or five SKUs as much as you might want. But what happens is, there's this then vacuum of all these other kinds of varieties that the opportunity for small hold and medium size indoor growers is to take up that by providing diversity in the types of leafy greens or herbs or edible flowers to the community that even may have large production of indoor growing. There's so much produce being eaten in the U.S., 
and yeah. abroad that the pie is huge. And we just got to get in the door into these buyers and tell them, you can have a bespoke order exactly to your specifications using this indoor farm as a service and have highest quality, locally grown, with no pesticides. And I think the more I talk about it, I'm actually going to, this month, I'm going to the food service conference in Monterey, California. While in New York, we were talking to the growers and the innovation. Here, I'm going to be talking to the other side, the food service. And I'm looking forward to really having this conversation with them to show them that there's a better way. Yeah. What tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? Tough question. You know, I'm always looking at product market fit. And you can be really early and people can, it's a great idea, but it's early and you have to then struggle. But if you have honed in that product market fit, the conversations become from heads nodding to check writing. And that's where I need to get into the check writing part of it. We have a platform that works, spent the efforts to build a software as a service. And now we just got to get the gas in there to make it go. And those are orders, right? And so every day, being as an entrepreneur, it's about, am I doing the right? Am I spending the right activity this hour? Because it has such exponential impact for things that are happening tomorrow. And that sometimes gets really, gives a lot of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, I'm sure, I know you have your work cut out for you, Ali, and I really applaud what you're doing. The more we talk about what you're putting together with indoor farming as a service at Harvests, it really is like, it it feels like it's a, a nice piece that fits, that was missing in terms of where we are and where we've come from with vertical farming in terms of the large big box being the primary source And I think it's just a timing issue in terms of figuring out, can you get it in front of the right people, enough conversations? And I think part of it may be a little bit of a marking challenge, maybe just telling the story. And sometimes visuals will be helpful with that, but definitely brainstorm some ideas for you after this. Yeah. One of the pieces that I want to mention is we're not trying to take 100% of the produce buy of a food service or restaurant. Of course. 10%. And use it even as a somewhat of an insurance policy to other kinds of disruptions and distribution is there. You can always then get use up what you've put an order in and have what comes from the big box or big distributors as well. And then hopefully when your customers that you use it for food preparation go, wow, this is an amazing product. What's in it? <laughs> then you go, ah, wait a second. You know, this... This indoor grown is actually tastes better as well. Sure. So lots of exciting opportunities for Harvest. I can just sense it that the more you educate folks and at these conferences and show them what the possibilities are, it's part of that education that'll eventually open their eyes and then ideally open up their wallets <laughs> to support you and the team. So I really appreciate you coming on you, and Harry. sharing your story. I'm glad we got a chance to connect in person. This is just the beginning. Yeah, it is just the beginning. I definitely sense it. If folks and listeners, the listener wants to get in touch with you or learn more about Harvest, where's the best place for them? I would recommend them emailing me at ali, A-L-I, at H-R-V-S-T-S dot com. So the word harvests 
with all the uh, vowels removed. We shorten it to make it more efficient. It's a throwback to the dot-com days. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you again, and I'm, I'm excited to share this information with this audience because there's a lot of folks that are getting started and always coming to me for the best advice on what to do. And this is definitely be one of those episodes that I point people to. Last thing as it comes to my mind is given the audience that we speak that, that are listening to this show, a lot of the folks that we connected with at the conference, is there an ask that you have of your colleagues in this space that you'd want to make that now? I would like for all of us to start talking about small farmers and how do we can support them using this new indoor farming technology and inviting them into the fold, educating them, bringing more jobs into the mix. I think this is a great place for the new generation of workers to really get themselves involved in their community, in food production, and we, get, we have to support small farming again. Very well put, and I'm glad you made that ask. Thanks again, Ali. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. So thanks again to Ali for sharing an hour of his time on the show. We've been having some great follow-up conversations, and I think you'll be hearing more about some possible ideas that we're brewing and maybe partnering on together. So stay tuned for that. Thanks to our Season 5 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. And best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co about how a podcast may be helpful for your brand. As a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. We're coming into the close of season five, and we're going to have a great conversation with Inez Sagrario of Econoque. Again, another contact from the Indoor Ag Tech NYC conference. She and her partners are doing some really innovative work in the field of hops, indoor hops. Yes, it's the first year for this show. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. As a reminder, we have sponsorship opportunities available for season six of the show. Reach out to me directly, harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.